following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to the fifth book of the Bible, uh, Deuteronomy. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6, and it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I know I praised God for the snow today, but I first had to repent, you know, when I first saw it, because I was like, oh man, I can't prove it biblically, but I'm pretty sure there's no snow in heaven. Just want to throw that out there, you know. I also can't prove it biblically, but I'm pretty sure all cats populate hell. That's just how it goes. I know that all dogs go to heaven because it's in the movie, so yeah, absolutely. You're like, I'm not listening to him. I'm going home. Like, I don't like that. Let's go back to, I don't know how that got there. Um, in the last chapter, if you uh, are new here, uh, my name is Jordan, and we're really glad that you could be here with us today. In the last chapter, chapter 5 of Deuteronomy, we've been kind of walking through this, and if you've missed any of these chapters, you can find all of their messages online at communitygospelchurch.com, and you'll see the messages that are there. But I want to kind of recap where we're at. Our word for the year this year is obedience. We're striving as a congregation to obey all the Lord that has commanded to us and entrusted to our care to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And last week, we talked about what is obedience. What does obedience mean? And really, if you go in chapter 5, you will realize that it partners with Exodus chapter 20, which is the Ten Commandments. And the Ten Commandments were given to us by God, and they're really a culmination of all of the law in those first five books of the Bible. So if you were to take all these 200-plus do this and 200-plus don't do this and summarize them in one way, Um, you really summarize them in 10 ways, and that's the Ten Commandments. And so we talked about the Ten Commandments uh, last week and how our author Moses essentially gave an overview to the Israelites on how they were to live their lives. If they obeyed the Lord, what they saw would be success, really. They would be successful in the eyes of the Lord. It would go well with them. If they didn't obey the Lord, they were really welcoming God's judgment, The same is true for us today. We have to look at the Old Testament through what we call New Testament eyes. We have to see it through these Christ-like eyes. We have the culmination of the entire Bible. And if we look at this, we realize that for us, if we obey the Lord, it does go well with us. Maybe the outside world rages on and we experience hardship in regards to earthly things, but internally we will experience joy and peace and it will go well with us regardless of what is transpiring in our world. When we disobey the Lord, we often get frustrated and we find ourselves just stressed out and we get to the point where we wonder what the problem is and God looks at us and he says, you're the problem. (laughs) And so we repent of our wickedness and we trust in the Lord and we ask him to kind of recalibrate and help us out in our earthly endeavors. Now, chapter six, all the way through chapter 11 is going to be called the great commands and warnings. Really, Deuteronomy is a collection of sermons from Moses to the Israelites. And these chapters deal with how humanity should respond to the promises. Now you've heard these things. You've heard these commands. 
How do you respond to loving the Lord? Well, you respond completely. You respond with everything. You respond with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And you live those truths out. And then he takes it a step further. And he says, you pass that promise on to the next generation. You pass this on to the future generation. Because in our study, we realize that the generation that was supposed to go to the promised land is not going to go to the promised land. It's the next generation. The generation that was supposed to go is wandering or was wandering in the desert. And the next generation is going to come and it's going to go to this Canaan, this promised land. And really, this is something Moses is big on, that he wants the future generation to recovet themselves to the Lord. But he wants that next generation to learn how to love the Lord well from the victories of this previous generation, as well as the sin that that generation experienced. They could learn from both of those things. So today, our whole goal is going to be in Deuteronomy 6, to make the most out of God's greatest commandment. If you take the Ten Commandments and you summarize them into one commandment, it is, you should love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. First five verses, Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are a lot of verses. I'm not going to be able to read the whole thing to you. But essentially, a summary of those first five verses. This is the commandment, verse 1. The statues and the rules that the Lord your God commanded Moses to teach to the Israelites. That you would do them in the future land that you're going to possess. That you would fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's sons. That's your kids and your grandkids for those of you who aren't tracking. And keep all of his statutes and all of his commandments which God has commanded to you. Moses called God's law the commandment in verse 1. He summarizes the law's main principle. Look at verse 5. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And it is given, first of all, to the Israelites. And their obedience to this command demonstrated two things. One, that they loved God. But two, that they feared God. How does America go back to being one nation under God. We demonstrate our love to God based off the declaration we have of God, and then we fear Him in awe and adoration of who He is. Now, Jesus lays down a very similar principle for the believers in John 14, verse 21. If Israel obeyed, their life would be blessed. If they disobeyed, they would be cursed. Now, verse 4 and 5, as Bethany alluded to earlier, is the Shema. And in the Shema, we realize that that is two verses known as to hear. It is a classic Hebrew confession of faith. It demonstrates who God is and our duty as mankind to that God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. That is a truth about God showing that he is a person, not a force. Now, I did not say that God was a human The word human and person are very different. We don't have time to unpack that. You just need to know that they're different. He is God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet he is one. And if you would circle that word one in verse four, it means God cannot be represented by any man-made images like Baal in the Old Testament or other gods. The cross is not God that is hanging up on that wall over there. 
It points us to God, but it is not God. The focus here needs to be on one God, which runs contradictory to other surrounding cultures. As we profess having a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, we are constantly telling secular society that they worship multiple gods. We're constantly pushing back against secular society. Now, if you remember, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, right? And really, it's a pushback here to the Egyptians who had a religious system where they served many gods and goddesses. But Israel was to reserve their worship for the one God which made them unique. And the same is true for us today. Because you worship the one God through faith and trust in Christ, you're unique. Isn't that kind of like encouraging to you and comforting a little bit, right? That you are distinct and you're different. You serve one God. Now, a lot of us look at these five verses and we say, oh, that's the Trinity. Let's talk about the word Trinity. The word Trinity is never in the Bible. But the concept of the Trinity is, You have God the Father, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, all referred to as God and attributed to have the same qualities that only God has. For example, in John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was God in the beginning. That word word in John chapter 1 is the word logos, and logos is pointing to Jesus. So Jesus is the creator of all things before time existed. Then you have the Holy Spirit. You have him listed with God the Father and the Son as the name believers are baptized into. You are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, given the free gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter refers to this in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. Now, God is one is not a new concept. When we talk about God being one, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, meaning only one God was before all things, and one God created all things. This is the same one God who spoke to Adam and Eve, who were created in our, plural, language. And so when we look at this one God, we realize that he is three persons, and he saved the world through Noah and promised Abraham and all nations would be blessed through him. Israel and believers today claim that God is one God, And we reject all other idols. Now, when we explain this to little kids, we explain it to them as solid, liquid, and ice, correct? It's easy that way. You take out an ice cube, you smash it on the counter, you get liquid, you put that in your cup or in a uh, pan, and what happens? It evaporates into the world, and that's the Holy Spirit, right? Um, We went to a conference a long time ago, and we realized that really the Holy Spirit and Jesus and God the Father, well, they can be explained that way. It's better to see them as three notes in a chord. Because if we play the whole chord, you cannot pick apart the separate notes. You just accept them as one. God the Father, Jesus the Son, Holy Spirit, our God, three in One. So they can occupy the same space. I wish I could take credit for that illustration because it's so good, but it's not mine. So when we realize that these uh, three operating in one makes us distinct, what happens is it causes us to destroy everything that is not God. Look at verse 5. It says, to love the Lord, the one God, means that first and foremost you are to choose this one God. If you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, you do not know this God. 
If you're listening online and maybe this is your first time that you're punching into Community Gospel Church, if you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, then you don't know this God. You're like the Egyptians back in the Old Testament who saw God manifested in many and multiple ways but never claimed that God. And so the second thing for us who do know God is to obey His commands. If you accept the Lord through faith and trust in Jesus Christ the Son, have received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, then you have said, I choose to follow God's commands. I no longer live for myself. I live for the Lord. That is exactly what Moses is saying in the first five verses of Deuteronomy chapter 6. You chose God because he chose you. And that command to love the Lord is given 11 times in Deuteronomy. And so you love the Lord with all of your heart. You let the Lord invade every aspect of your being, all of your soul and all of your strength. And you have a complete love because he completely loved you. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because he first loved us. That means that God gets all of your time, all of your talent, and all of your attention. If you're a student, that means when you're looking for a job or a career, it is not your desires. It is where can I evangelize or share my faith the most and where can I build up the church the most? If you're at a workplace, you're constantly seeing people as either lost or found, either needing the gospel or either needing to be encouraged by the gospel. If you are raising kids, we are not raising good kids. We're raising godly kids who love Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. We're impressing those truths upon their hearts. So when we look at this, we realize that this is really like a big command, right? Jesus called this the greatest commandment. If you love the Lord with everything, everything else will fall into place. Verse 6. The command to love your God, the Lord your God, starts with the heart. Internal heart transformation. We're constantly talking about behavior modification. Behavior modification doesn't happen unless heart transformation takes place. You cannot change behavior if you do not change hearts. And so Moses understood this way back then. So he says to understand the law and to apply it correctly to your life, we have to change your heart. Now notice, this is kind of interesting. He says, once you change your heart, you communicate it, verse 7, to your children. The home is the greatest mission field in all of the earth. The home, we see father, mother, children operating together. We realize that this is the core of where real godliness is manifested. Now, parents are to talk freely about the Lord all day long. Notice in verse 8 and 9, this command is always to be in front of us. <laughs> Moses says, you should bind them as signs on your hand and frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and gates. Now, those of you that don't know Neil, who was up here singing, not Larry, the tall one, the smaller one. I told Neil that he should have leather straps and little boxes prepared for people in the sanctuary to put on their, their arms and on the forehead. And he said, I'm going to step out if you do that. <laughs> He's still there. <laughs> this is interesting because if you bridge the Old Testament with the New Testament, Jews actually later took that command extremely literally. 
And they missed massive symbolism that took place in regards for the continual teaching of the law. The other day, my kids found out that I have gone to school for 22 years of my life. And they looked at me and they said, are you nuts? 22 years you've gone to school. And I said, you know what, though? You never stop learning. We don't arrive. We constantly continue to learn and be taught based off what the word says. So by the time Christ arrives, check this out. Many Jews are wearing phylacteries, which are or, <laughs> phylacteries, excuse me, small boxes with scripture on their forehead. Now, if you go to Israel, you'll see this. It's, it's quite comical, but they think it's, it's normal. And then they bind on their arms these leather straps. They also hang these things called masuzas, which are small containers holding passages of scripture on doorposts. Those are great reminders. Those are not necessarily, in essence, bad. They pointed to the Lord. But here's what made them criticized by Christ. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and he says, you are doing these things to display a greater spirituality than the people who are around you. It's the same thing for us who wear crosses. It's the same thing for us who put all these Christian symbols in front of things and we don't act the way that we're supposed to act. It's those of us who look at it and say, look at me, look at me, I'm a Christian. I got my community gospel sticker on the back of my car, but I'm going to cut you off and let me tell you what, the wrath of God's coming if you ever do it again. A lot of you are like, I never want a community gospel sticker ever again. There's nothing inherently bad about some of these symbols, but when we use those symbols to display greater spirituality, that's where we fall short. In the end times, for example, in Revelation chapter 13, verse 16, the satanic practice will come about that is very similar to this. The Antichrist will apply a symbol to either the hand or the forehead of all who will take it. And I believe with all of my heart, it will be very, very close to a symbol of Christianity. So the point here is obedience. And if you're reading this as an Israelite, you're saying, okay, well, what if we obey and what if we disobey? Well, let's look at verse 10. Some dangers of disobedience. God planned to bring Israel into the promised land, but there's a danger. Look at verse 12. Don't forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Don't forget him. It's easy to forget the Lord sometimes. Don't forget him. The cycle of disobedience is repeated over and over and over again with Israel, especially in the time of Judges. Israel just had to be obedient, and they would prosper, but they fail repeatedly. We do the same things. And oftentimes, we fail when God has set us up for success. It is far greater for us to experience trials and tribulations because it essentially pushes us into further maturity than it is for us to experience times where seasons are at ease. It is good for us to go through times of trials and tribulations because it's a lot easier to forget the Lord when you've been freed of sin and are successful. So he says you have to be cautious with contentment. Church, we have to be cautious when we find ourselves content. So he says in verse 13, keep your focus on the creator, the one who's over man and not man-made creation. Let me give you three areas of focus. We'll start some application process here today. Number one, the first thing that you must do in order to keep your focus on Christ, 
over man-made creation is focus on fearing and serving the Lord. This is a prayer for us every single morning to wake up and say, God, make me awe-filled. Help me to see the beauty and the joy of my spouse that you have entrusted to my care. Help me to see and, and be filled with joy over my kids, even though they never obey. By the way, you're never supposed to use absolutes, even though they often obey. Give me the opportunity to be thankful and grateful for the house that you have given me, the food that you have given me. You know where your next meal is coming from. Somebody told me this the other day. They said, uh, I have a tough life. And I said, when you got in your car this morning, what was on the radio? And they said, well, Christian music, of course. I said, did anybody come and blow up your car because you're listening to Christian music? No. I said, so you're doing okay. We're really doing okay, right? In the grand scheme of things, we have a lot going on for us. You should start to count the areas in your life where you should be grateful instead of frustrated. And so he says, live an awe-filled life. Moses says this, verse 13. If you look at it, he specifically says, it is the Lord your God whom you shall fear. He is the one who gives and takes away. Just as you have obtained, you can also be relieved. Number two, verse 13, second part, he says, and in him... You shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. Now, if you're reading this passage of Scripture, you're thinking to yourself, didn't it just say in the Ten Commandments you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain? Well, it's not what he's talking about here. The New Living Translation, which I love, it says, when you take an oath, you must only use his name. So this isn't talking about taking the Lord's name in vain. It reinforces instruction to fear the Lord. Let me give it to you another way. Israel is being told you're to swear an oath only in the name of the Lord, not in the name of any other God. In other words, when you do anything, you do it as if you were to do it unto the Lord. Whoa. When you parent, you're to parent unto the Lord. When you love your spouse, you're to look at them unto the Lord. So it's as if Jesus himself is right there. When you work, you are to do your work as if you were to do it unto the Lord. When you spend your time, whether that is in uh, passing, you are to do it unto the Lord. You should watch what comes in your eyes. You should watch what you put in your ears. You should watch what you do. You should do everything unto the Lord. Third one. And as you focus on him, you should get rid of these other gods. If Israel forgot the Lord, verse 12 they'd almost certainly follow other gods. God's people were created not only with the capacity to worship, but the need to worship. You are created to worship the living God because you're created in his image, but also you have a need to do it. I think with all of my heart that people know what they should be doing, but they don't know how to get back to doing what they're supposed to do. And really, it's a simple humbling that needs to take place. In verse, chapter 4, verse 24, chapter 5, verse 9, chapter 32, verse 16, and 21, it says, The Lord is a jealous God, meaning he is passionate to protect what belongs to him. In other words, God is not to be the first thing on your list. He is to be in everything on your list. People will look at that all the time. My dad used to say it all the time. He said he had three priorities in life. Fishing was first. My mom was second, and we were a hard third. (laughs) He was obviously joking. But we realized that our list cannot be Jesus and then family and then kids and work and all that other stuff. It's 
Christ in my family, Christ in my kids, Christ in my workplace. And all these things, Israel, look at verse 16, was not to put God to the test, which they did often. There, Israel was tempted by God at Manasseh to doubt his love and concern for them. Let's just be honest here today. We did a public time of confession, but let's just, let's just run it back again. Have you ever gotten to a point in your life where you doubted that the Lord loved you and was concerned about you? And the answer to that question is yes, we've all been there. We've all been to that spot. Anytime we deny God's love for us or demand that he do something for us, we're testing him as if he has to answer to our standards. Just because you do not feel the love of God does not mean God does not love you. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And God chooses to love you in your sin constantly. And so there you are supposed to love your spouse like that and your kids like that and your job like that because all of that has been entrusted to your care by the living God. And so when we look at this, we realize that once my perspective starts to change from love is a feeling to love is a choice, now I have a choice on whether or not I'm going to worship the Lord or I'm going to worship myself, which is exactly what's transpiring with the Israelites here in the text. They're going to either worship God, the living God, or they're going to worship himself, which is exactly the same thing that Jesus is confronted with when he is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. What does Satan ultimately want Jesus to do in the wilderness? He doesn't want him to worship him. He wants him to worship himself. He wants him to make himself greater than anybody else. He wants him to have his pride come up. And Satan realizes when he does that, he will worship him. Jesus knew that's wrong. And he says, you do not demand proof from the Father. We have proof every day of God's love for us if we would just open our eyes to see it. Verse 17. So how do we take these commands seriously? How do we diligently keep these commands, do what is right, which is a theme that is constantly repeated in Deuteronomy? Well, under the Old Testament, the Israelites' blessing was based on obedience. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you disobey, there'll be cursing. But this is not the source of blessing in the New Testament. In New Testament, it changes a little where we find ourselves blessed by faith in Christ who fulfills the law in our place. That's Romans chapter 8. In other words, God makes us safe by his grace. We realize there's no judgment. I didn't say there wasn't any consequences for your sins. Just because there's no judgment of sins underneath the blood of Christ does not mean there's consequences for sins. There's always a consequence for sin, whether for you or for the other people or whatever the case may be. And so we realize that all judgment we deserve, Jesus shouldered on the cross. So does that mean we get to sin so that grace would abound? And Paul says, no, Romans 6. And he says, here's how you keep the faith. This is so simple. And yet it needs repeated week after week. How do we keep up the faith through our acts of worship? How do we do this? Number one, we first and foremost constantly read and study the word of God. It is to be a constant thing. It is not reserved for just Sundays. To constantly be in and study God's word is a privilege. And we realize that God appointed the Israelites to write sentences of the law on their walls, in parchment on their wrists, and on doorposts. And you will look at me and say, I don't like to read. God wrote a book. Start disciplining yourself to like to read. 
This is the text from the Word of God. It is to be kept at the center. It is to give you joy. It is to give you help to overcome sin. It is to direct us in our daily duty as walking worshipers. Why do we put the text on the shelf? It should be the first thing we wake up to. And some people look at me and they go, I don't know where to start. Like, uh, this is a big book. This is 66 books. Where do I start? And I always say, start at Leviticus. Open your Bible and read it. If you believe in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we believe fully that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you the truths of God in the text. Do you know how many people have come to know Christ simply by just opening up their Bible and reading it? And yet we look at it all the time and we say, I don't understand it. Obviously, it takes some faith to trust that the Holy Spirit is going to do something great in your life. Every time we open up this book, I am in constant anticipation that God will reveal to me his word and his truth, and he will help me put it into practice in my everyday life. I open up this book with great anticipation that the God of the universe wants to spend time with me in his text. Some of you guys are like, but God doesn't speak to me. Just start reading aloud. Right, two. <clears throat> it's not enough to read it, though. It's not enough to just study it. Look at and uh, the, the Israelites were commanded to meditate on God's word. It was to dominate their hearts. Second Corinthians chapter ten says, "Take every thought captive." We talked about this in the nine o'clock hour just a little bit ago. But it's like a cow that constantly uh, takes in food, throws it up, and then puts it back down and puts it in his second stomach, throws it back up. You're to talk about this constantly. You're to think about this constantly. Read the word of God, throw it back up, verbal scripture. Then swallow it back down, study it some more, throw it back up. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, take every thought captive. 3, religiously educate your children. Some of us are like, I don't have children, but you know children. And when we dedicate children at Community Gospel Church, we ask you to hold us as parents accountable. And so therefore, it's a group effort. Raising kids was never meant to be a solo endeavor. It was always meant to be a community effort. Number four, embrace divine dialogue. Church, if there is a prayer that I had for you in regards to being obedient to the word of God this year, 2023, I would pray that you would stop having conversations about the weather. It drives me nuts. Hey, it's snowing outside today, huh? It's, it's, it's snow outside. Yeah, warm up Canadian tuxedo. Yep, snowing, right? Who cares? Let's move into something of substance, like the justification of God, the sanctification of God, the glorification of God, where peace is found, where joy is found, where all of these things take place. What has God given you victory over? Be awkward with people. It's good. Embrace a divine dialogue. Watch it get weird and welcome it. Just say, yeah, this is good. Because this is, look at verse 20, the very end. This is how you pass on God's commands. Let me just read this to you. When your son asks you in times to come, hey, dad, what's the meaning of all these testimonies and statutes that we have? It's like a little kid asking his father, why do we go to church? It's like a little kid asking, you lost your job, dad, but you were praying to the Lord about finding a new job. Why'd you do that? Then you will say to your son, 
Son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. Son, I was once a sinner who had no Savior. And the Lord, not myself, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. It wasn't anything that I did. It was everything that the Lord had done. The Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all of his household before our eyes. We've had many enemies in our home. We've had many things happen that we didn't want to happen. Many things transpired that we didn't want, but God was working, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for the good of those who love him. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good. Now, can you imagine a parent having a conversation with their kid and using this? Son, we're supposed to fear the Lord our God. It's always for our good. It might not work out materialistically, but it always works out eternally. That he might preserve us alive as we are to this day. We're alive today because God has given us the breath in our lungs. It's almost as if the dad leans in a little bit. And he whispers in his ear, he says, it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all that God has commanded us to do. That's a promise that is passed down from God to his people, to the people, to his sons. In Psalm 78, verse 4, it says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power and his wonders. Church, we cannot be silent about the power and wonders and the mighty works of God. They are to constantly be on our lips. All of the above can be done in the New Testament eyes. God's command is not to be accepted selfishly. It's to be passed down. And one of the best ways you can pass down the word of God is to live out the truths of God with your life. The law shows us how much we fall short and need help. Needs help. As righteousness cannot be by the law, only Christ kept all the commandments of God. His obedience is our righteousness, and only through him is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone that believes. We definitely need to pray about this. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, first and foremost, that you are the living God, one that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus Christ, your one and only Son, to die on the cross for our sins. And in sending Jesus to all who believe, you gave the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. And if you are here this morning, you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, your first movement is towards the God of the universe by confession of sin and trusting in Christ as Savior. So many of us, Lord, have done that, and yet we have become complacent with your commands. It's amazing. You give all of these commands, and then you realize that we're, we're kind of foolish and we forget, so you funnel it down into 10. And we're supposed to keep those at the front of us. First four are about how to love you. Second six are about how to love our neighbor as ourselves. You don't make it complicated or complex. As a matter of fact, it's very simple. 
And then you realize we fall short of that, so you bring it down into one command. That we should love you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Something that Jesus said, the law and the prophets hinge on. So Lord, we ask that you would bring us back to you. This Sunday in January 2023, that you would refocus our time, talents, and attentions on serving you, the living God. That you would help us to realize the importance of studying your word, meditating on that truth. That you would remind us of how important it is to see our workplaces as mission fields and the home as a mission field. And that the conversations that we have with each other, they're important. And that we would not talk about silly or foolish things, but we would talk about things that bring you honor and glory. We would ask questions to one another about the things that we're contemplating. We would give truth to the people who need truth, not based off our opinion, but based off of your word. And then, God, we ask that you would help us to pass this down from our generation to the next generation. Loose our lips. Help us to boldly declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just in words, but also in action and deeds. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus this week. May everything we do point back to you, our living God. We love you so much, Lord. The things that I missed today, I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak into the hearts of those who are here and really fill in the gaps and help us to do diligence as we continue in our study, serving you with everything that we got, all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our risen Savior, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.